What is going on, guys? Welcome to In The Zone. I'm your host, Garrison Roy, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Tori Baker. She's a doctor of physical therapy. She graduated from Emory University out there in Georgia. So, Tori, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, guys, what's up? My name is Tori, and I'm a physical therapist, like Garrison said. Um, I did go to PT school in Georgia. And then um, after that, I completed a residency to specialize in orthopedics um, because I have a big interest in working with active people and athletes in particular. Um, So as part of that, I was lucky enough to work with a lot of um, college and professional athletes. I had some really great mentors um, down in Florida where I did that, um, which I guess just kind of pushed me further into really liking that type of a population. So that's kind of my my history. And then now I'm up here in Charlotte, but uh, lots of moves in between along the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's cool how we cross paths and, uh, you know, just always talking a little bit more of shop. And we got on the topic of TOS a while back and you actually have yourself struggled with some uh, thoracic outlet syndrome, correct? Yeah, so um, I have kind of a weird history that led to mine, but um, we'll get into kind of the specifics of TOS here in a little bit. But um, I had a few clavicle or collarbone fractures when I was in high school, um, which led to some pretty significant issues once I got into PT school and um, my career as a physical therapist that caused me a lot of problems. So it became a really big um, interest of mine. You know, it's something I think is really overlooked and that people don't number one assess or number two really treat properly. So uh, definitely a niche interest of mine, if you will. Yeah. No, you're spot on there with that. I think a lot of people either don't really know about it or they just slap a bicep tendonitis or like, you know, Oh, you have this symptom. So you have this thing and they don't even think, you know, to do the really basic uh, TOS test, which is like putting your arm up at 90 degrees, which is where most guys are throwing from, right? And you check that pulse and also turning your head to the side. I actually had a unique case a while back where he passed it whenever his head was facing neutral. But as soon as he turned his head, like as if he was looking towards uh, towards home plate, he that's when he actually lost his pulse, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but what, yeah. what other kind of assessments do you, have you seen? Um, or do you kind of stick with just that one? Well, so there are a few, there's like a cluster of tests for a thoracic outlet that they teach you in PT school. Um, you know, everyone wants to be evidence-based. And so they look at like the sensitivity and specificity of those kind of tests, which aren't that great. Um, and so, you know, some people really shy away from those. And I think that's one reason why it does get missed a lot, but, um, you know, to be honest, I think one of the biggest assessment tools for someone with this is just listening, getting their subjective exam, because um, like you mentioned, you know, in a thrower, they're in like a very specific position over and over that, you know, an everyday person is not, not in. Um, 
but just hearing, you know, different things in their history. Like, for example, you know, in my case, if I'm coming in, I tell you, I've had multiple clavicle fractures. You look at, you know, my clavicle and it's, you know, pretty not straight. (laughs) That's going to indicate to you that there might be some issues going on. And um, so, yeah, I do use those tests, but more for me, it's just listening to what they say and then using other tests like um, upper limb neural tension tests and then um, just trying to reproduce their their symptoms, both with their movements that they have the um, symptoms with, like you mentioned, but also with just different palpation and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not to get too far off topic, but do you think sometimes guys with nerve issues could be misdiagnosed with TOS? Meaning they are diagnosed with TOS and they don't have it or vice versa? Correct. Or both. Yeah, we could go both, both ways. But let's go with the one where they don't have TOS, but they just have more of like a nerve block in their arm. But they're getting those tingling sensation feelings, um, you know, whether it's when they're throwing or doing any other physical activity. Yeah, I do think that's a possibility, but I think it would be more likely to go the other way. So someone's going to say that you have, you know, peripheral nerve tension more often than um, that you have thoracic outlet. So I would say, you know, people are going to be killing like a nerve glide and then it's not really changing anything because they're missing a proximal piece. Um, So, yeah, I definitely think you could be misdiagnosed either way, but um, it'd be less likely. I think if you're diagnosed with TOS, like, you probably have it most of the time. Yeah. Well, I would venture off to say too, like a lot of throwers, especially if you've been throwing for pretty much your, you know, entire childhood, all the way up through college or pro ball, right? Like everyone has TOS in some degree, right? Not all of them are going to be symptomatic, but I think it's definitely probably more on a spectrum where guys may, you know, here in the middle, they may not have those symptoms, but as they creep closer to that more extreme side of that TOS or any of those blockages, right. Then that's when they start to feel those symptoms. So uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, a lot of the reason people develop TOS is because of their anatomy. Everyone's anatomy is different. So, you know, if I have, you know, more space than someone else and I'm throwing over and over and over at like high velocities, I might not really get those symptoms, but if, you're unlucky and you have that smaller, you know, thoracic outlet space, then, you know, one, it's going to develop faster for you Two, It's going to be more severe, most likely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you're spot on there because a lot of people do have, you know, different anthropometry or, um, you know, looking further into it myself a while back, there's actually several different types of collarbones, uh, which, you know, like you said, can influence how much space they have available in there uh, to, to access and keep them from, you know, getting that blockage. So that's something to also kind of assess too, or even just from general posture changes, right? Like some guys' shoulders might just be a little bit more slouched or have that, you know, PRI type, like right, right arms lower than the left, right. Mm-hmm. Knee. That, that different type of, of posture can definitely affect how everything around that moves. Um, and then also, obviously in today's world, right, you have Uh, constant like upper cross syndrome from cell phone neck or constant video games sitting in that hunched over, you know, and rounded shoulder posture. That's definitely going to, you know, if you're in there for a long period of time, especially, you know, being in classes or classroom settings, sitting all the time, like that's definitely going to play a role in how your body's going to adapt to that. Yeah, definitely agree. Yeah. So I guess, you know, some, some guys might be like, 
Googling, you know, or WebMD, I'm like, why am I feeling nerve pain or why I'm having these symptoms or like, why is my velocity down just randomly out of nowhere, but it feels like I'm throwing max effort and then just like nothing's coming out. What would be, I guess, other than that and not getting too much into being like a, a hypochondriac, so to speak, <laughs> like, um, what would be some good things for them to start to do to either, you know, keep that at bay or uh, check off some boxes before they go see a specialist? Um, well, I would think about when does it come on? So like, is it coming on in your everyday life? Is it bothering you? Like you mentioned, sitting at school or like sitting, working at a desk, something like that. Um, and just also where are your symptoms? So, you know, sometimes people will just have my hand feels weak or my forearms like achy. Um, but, you know, to me, a lot of times TOS is going to have a lot more proximal symptoms as well. So you might have neck pain, you might have shoulder pain. Um, in my opinion, a lot of people get shoulder scopes and, you know, different procedures that they may not have needed. Hard to say, you know, because hindsight's twenty twenty. but, you know, people go in for like a labral repair and then they find out a year later they have TOS. And that's not to say their labrum wasn't torn, but that could have been a completely asymptomatic problem that they never needed surgery for. Um, yeah. So that's going down a rabbit hole, but really just talking about when does it come on? Does it only come on when you're pitching or throwing or doing something active? Does it come on, you know, at rest? Do you notice it when you like sleep at night? Um, that to me is going to give you some more information. So if it's, if it's just when you're active, um, I would start looking into more, you know, can I just work on some of my mobility of my soft tissues? Like look at my scalenes, my upper traps, things like that. Do I have a nerve entrapment lower down in my arm that we were talking about earlier? Can I try nerve guides? Um, that would be my first, first thing to look at for people or for people to try. Um, if that's the only time you're getting symptoms, but if you're getting symptoms more often, just through your daily life, then I would say it's time to go get a get a good evaluation by someone most definitely <clears throat> well and especially a lot of guys that you know high level throwers they're probably going to see those symptoms just mostly whenever they throw before they see it in their daily lives unless it's like a really extreme case right uh, you know I've, I've heard several cases where guys would get blood clots uh they may not have had like the tos type symptoms but then they would have a blood clot like where it was growing closer to them and then they'd have to go in and get surgery remove mm -hmm. that first rib um, and some guys even extreme where had to remove scalenes and pec minor, like, you know, just totally butchering that area to just try to save them, make sure that they don't, you know, get that clot closer to the heart. Um, what, what other cases have you seen with, with TOS or have you seen any, uh, extreme cases like that? And what is the, what is the rehab process like? Um, so talking about like uh, having surgery. blood clots and stuff, um, yeah. you know, that's, rare in the pop, a general population, but it is the most common I would say in baseball players because of um, the extreme position that they're going into and also the hypertrophy of like the pecs. So, um, you know, there's three spots that you can really get compression with the, uh, with thoracic outlet. And the reason that um, one like that, where you have a, you know, a blood clot is dangerous is because that's what they call arterial um, thoracic outlet that's less than like three percent of the cases um, but again a baseball community is at much higher risk for it um, so you know that occurs behind the pecs so you know they call it the retro pectoralis space all that means is 
it's behind the pec in front of the subscap muscle, which also can be hypertrophied in a baseball player. Um, and then it's um, below the coracoid process of the scapula. So just a piece of the shoulder blade that comes to the front of the shoulder. Um, all of those are really important parts of throwing. Um, and so when we get a hypertrophy of a muscle or just a closing down of the space for a variety of reasons can be like a fibrosis, stuff like that. Um, and then we're repeatedly stressing it through a high velocity throw. That's what they call a work thrombosis. So it just overstressing that artery over and over and over until it literally like backs up, like you were saying, mm -hmm. um, more towards the traditional space that people think of as a thoracic outlet. Um, anytime that someone has arterial um, TOS, it's, it's immediately a um, surgical case. It can't really be managed conservatively because that's your blood supply and you gotta, gotta clear that out of there. So like you mentioned, they'll remove the first rib in a lot of cases. Some people do have an extra, what they call a cervical rib. Um, we don't always think about how our rib cage goes all the way up to our neck, but our first rib is literally right below our collarbone. So mm -hmm. um, if you have an extra one, that's even higher that, you know, needs to I come agree. out of there. But a lot of times it's a traditional first rib that they take out. Um, as far as rehab, I have never specifically rehab someone with uh arterial tos but it's a pretty long road if you look at like mlb pitchers that have had it um it'll take about 11 months or so um and then some come back really well some don't so um, most people are probably familiar with like chris carpenter had it he came back for like six games that was kind of it for him mm -hmm. but then there's like jaime garcia he came back, had some great seasons. So um, the specific, you know, what do we need to do with the rehab is more just restoring the strength you lose in your post-op period. Um, and then looking for methods to reduce the chances of that happening again. So looking at your thoracic extension mobility, um, making sure you have good stability of the shoulder. Um, instability of the shoulder is a huge um, one, especially in recreational athletes to develop TOS. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also just working on periscapular strengthening is really important. Absolutely. To not, uh, get too far off that topic, going back to the pecs, right. A lot of people in the baseball industry, um, you know, back when I was growing up there, like, Hey, don't hypertrophy your pecs at all. But then now guys are going to the point where, you know, they're doing a lot of like, uh, soft tissue releases or like mobilizations in that area. <clears throat> Do you think, outside of the arterial TOS, like just the other, um, you know, less invasive or more like preventative type stuff. Do you think the mobilizations, um, or, you know, any of that soft tissue work actually does help assist with that? Or is there other, other ways for, you know, to be a less invasive before reverting to, uh, surgery? Um, okay. Let me just clarify. So you mean like, do I think soft tissue of the pecs is going to help with arterial or with other types of TOS? With other types. Yeah, we're shifting and going with other. Yeah. Types. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think they are, they are helpful more for just like the mobility of the shoulder. You can't actually get neurogenic TOS from the pecs because of just where the um, brachial plexus comes out doesn't go in that um, space behind the pecs. So if the pecs are causing it, it's going to be either, um, you know, your vein or your artery that, that goes through that space. Got it. But okay. that being said, it does contribute to just the mobility of the shoulder and all those stuff. You can get anterior tipping of your, um, 
your scapula, obviously, which is a big part of it. So yes, I do think that can be helpful. Um, but is it like a direct, yeah, you have to do this and it's going to clear it up. I would say not necessarily. Skip ahead the next 60 seconds if you don't want to find out about a company I co-founded, Ink Sports Performance. So here's the scoop. At Ink Sports Performance, we get it. We were athletes ourselves, former college and professional pitchers. We were also former college coaches as well. Rob and I, we don't do one-size-fits-all programs. We custom craft each training and throwing program and offer that one-on-one coaching support that you need where you're not just a number. We're all about that personal touch. We'll dive into your training videos, whip up some of the program designed to take you to your next level. Nothing cookie cutter here. So if you, one of your friends, or maybe a player that you know is serious about competing at the next level, hit us up on our website, give us a call, get that set up at inksportsperformance.com. And also just a heads up, we're also very selective who we take. Right, we only take a handful of dedicated athletes, and if you're not putting in the work, we'll have to say goodbye. So let's ink you in to the next level. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well, I, you know, there's definitely a lot of factors that go into that too, and like even something as simple as like, hey, how do you do like a cable row or any type of rowing, right? Like how you do that can kind of affect, you know, how everything moves. Or like you said, the subscap is a really big piece of that. So if your arm is really close to your rib cage all the time when you're doing rows, right, that's going to really constrict that um, that area. So I think even just in traditional exercise form, right, like it doesn't sound like something that's more of a quote unquote corrective, but doing that properly puts your shoulder in that better position to have, you know, better scapular mobility, proper functioning, proper firing of all that. Um, so do you, would you say that guys who, you know, may neglect that side of uh, that, or they're just like kind of cranking through their rows and getting that anterior glide of their humerus, like you mentioned, um, do you think that over time, like obviously not in a short period of time, but doing that over and over again, pushing through that could also cause some of these symptoms to come up? Um, I think that's a good point um, for sure. I don't, I don't know that, you know, doing those rows that way is causing it. But what I do think is that you're not getting that strength and stability in the positions that you need it by doing the rows incorrectly, if that makes sense. Um, So I do think you're missing, you know, a strengthening stabilization piece that you need um, to take into throwing Um, that can definitely lead you down that road, you know, long term, like you were saying. Um, In the PT world, there's a huge debate of like, you know, we can't, you don't need to be a stickler on doing something exactly right or, you know, whatever, um, versus, you know, it's better if people are just doing exercise. And I mean, yes, it's true. If we're working with like, you know, middle-aged people or, you know, someone that just wants to like get in shape, you know, and they're a weekend warrior. Yeah, that's great. Just doing exercise. But for me, like if you're working with an athlete and someone who wants to be high level athlete in particular, you know, it needs to be done correctly and needs to be done correctly every time. Um, because these are ultimately like building blocks for a person, you know, no one learns how to exercise correctly when they're like in the major leagues, you know, you got to learn that as you're coming up. So, um, you know, I, I am more of a stickler on, you got to do this correctly or not do it, um, type of a person. So, 
yes, I do think that that's a contributing factor for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's, that's definitely is uh, a very, I guess, controversial topic where it's like, Hey, do you need to have this perfect forum for everything? Um, I would say, you know, at general scientific answer here, like it kind of depends, right? Like mm-hmm. life itself and throwing movements in itself are, are unique and authentic to that person. So like, yeah, you have certain principles and things where like, yeah, you're not going to do a row with like your elbow or like a push up with your elbow, like way above your shoulder line. Same thing for throwing mechanics. Like you don't want that to be above that basically a chromial line there either. Right. Or having that super elevated because that's just going to keep grinding on it. But however, like, yeah, like not everybody's going to be perfectly right at that 90 degree angle. It's going to may have a little bit of variance to it, depending on, you know, the tensegrity, not to throw out too many fancy words, right. But the tensegrity (laughs) of like your shoulder, right. Like that, that tug of war or like sailboat type of analogy that I like to use, right. Like if one of these are pulling tighter than the other, it's going to steer that shoulder, right. To a particular uh, side or, you know, having that rounded shoulder feel like if those pecs are super tight, they're going to be pulling everything in this way. Um, with that being said, though, it's like, yeah, I think some variability is needed, but to the point where like you're doing like 17 different rows, like you're doing one at 90, then you're doing one here, and then you're doing one like super close in. Like, I don't see a need to have like variability for variability sake, but if you have like, you know, an exact uh, goal or adaptation in mind, right? I think, you know, it, it's good to have that variation. Yeah. And you definitely have to respect, like, obviously everyone's throwing mechanics are different. And, um, in most cases, like you don't want to make huge changes to that, um, particularly like in a rehab setting, but, um, you know, it is important to recognize like the deficits that are there, you know? So I'm not, you know, I'm not, especially as a rehab, um, professional, like I'm not trying to change someone's throwing mechanics. If they need changes in a throwing their throwing mechanics, I'm sending them to a coach, you know, that's more their realm. I, you know, everyone needs to kind of have their specialties in my opinion, but um, it is important to see. Yeah. Though, like there are certain like disadvantageous positions that you'd be like, if you see a guy's throwing mechanics and he's throwing with that, you're probably going to make a suggestion be like, Hey man, like you probably can't throw like that. Yeah. Or you're going to come back and see me pretty soon. No. Yeah. That, of course. I just mean more like, I guess the minor differences, minor but yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think that, um, with thoracic outlet in particular, like this specific topic is talking about, you know, a very small space and a very small change that makes a huge problem. And so, you know, if we see, you know, shoulder instability or, you know, whatever it is, that's going to be huge in this diagnosis. Um, it's not quite the same as like, you're working on someone's, you know, leg is a lot different thinking about muscle groups and stuff like that. Um, then the thoracic outlet is a very, very small space. And like we talked about already, you know, if someone's already at a disadvantageous like position, given their, their anatomical space, then, um, you have to keep all that stuff in mind that little things make a big difference for a diagnosis like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and especially whenever I try to go in and make certain corrections to the guy's mechanics, I want to make sure it's like, Hey, is he having pain or is this going to get lead him to an injury in the future? If not, then 
I don't want to, you know, it's, it's that tug of war. Like, uh, like I said before, you're, you don't know if you're messing with their authentic movement solution, or if you're, you know, like trying to put them into this cookie cutter way of like trying to do things. Right. And, you know, I'm guilty of doing that in the past, uh, but I'm trying to steer clear away from that to let, you know, because the human body and their way of doing things will, their body's going to choose a certain path of least resistance. Um, and sometimes that's for, for the better. And sometimes that's for the worse. And coaches can sometimes get in the way of them creating that own solution for themselves. Um, but yeah, I guess switching topics a little bit, what other, I guess, contributing factors, because you, you mentioned early on about, you know, getting assessments, getting different tests, what else outside of like having a microscopic view on that, you know, that shoulder area where the TOS uh, symptoms would come from, what other like global things, um, right. We, we're kind of mostly sticking on the, the scap here. What other things outside of that do you think could also affect how, uh, that TOS symptoms could, could arise. Um, okay. So you mean outside of the scapular region? Yes. Well, I think one huge one is, well, I guess these kind of go together is your cervical and thoracic mobility is mm-hmm. huge. Um, so anyone I've ever seen with, with, you know, TOS has terrible thoracic extension. Um, we know that thoracic extension is huge for shoulder movement. I mean, you, you literally can't get to end range if you don't have thoracic extension. Um, but then also cervical motion, I think is really overlooked. A lot of times people do have underlying neck pain that, you know, if I ask them in their initial visit with me, you know, do you have neck pain? They're like, no, not really. But then when you dive down into it, they're like, okay, yeah, my neck does bother me. It's like, yeah, I bet. Um, because, you know, one of the major players in thoracic outlet syndrome is, are the scalenes. Um, and those are major, um, muscles of the neck. So, um, if we don't have good mobility, number one of our soft tissues, like the scalenes, but two of the joints of our neck, you know, that's just going to put us at a a higher risk of, you know, developing problems elsewhere because your body's going to figure out how to move around your deficits, especially in an athlete, they got to throw the ball. So they're going to, their body's going to figure it out. So, Um, I think, you know, zeroing in, like you said, on this tiny space in the front of the chest is like a huge mistake. I also think, you know, that's why it gets missed. Like we were talking about earlier, if someone says my forearms hurting or my grip isn't good and I'm just looking at their hand, I'm going to miss like so many contributing factors there. So, um, I guess circling back to the question, (laughs) um, yeah, cervical thoracic, uh, rotation would would you think anything else outside of that like even zooming out even more i mean in a in an athlete it can be so many things because like i said you know you're getting your motion where you can so it can be a lower body problem you know if you're really serving an athlete properly you need to see their whole movement of you know everything that they're going to do repeatedly you know so if they're a pitcher, you need to see them pitch. You need to see them pitch under different conditions and you need to see them pitch, you know, the beginning of the day and the end of their day. Like, how's it looking? Um, Environmental changes. So like you could have certain guys who'd be like, hey, you know, whenever I'm warming up or I'm throwing on flat ground, it's totally fine. And then as soon as I change that to going onto the mound, 
right? So you go from that flat ground to that slope angle, yeah. then it starts to present itself right there because their bodies are, you know, organizing themselves a little bit differently and finding that solution, uh, you know, because of the different environment. So that, that's definitely a factor to look at, right? And so it could be, you know, a quote unquote mechanical, uh, you know, flaw that could be stemming from the lower half that's actually causing that different arm action or different, you know, movement or additional stress to that shoulder and scap uh, because of what energy they're not using from the lower half. So. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you think about, you know, a, let's talk about a pitcher in particular, like if you're not transferring your energy, like through the ground, through your legs into your upper body, if you're muscling through a pitch with your arm, like that's going to be a problem for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, it can be, it can be something like TOS, but then the root cause, you know, we treat, you know, the scalings, we treat the thoracic spine, we treat the cervical spine and it gets better. And then they get back to their previous like level of pitching and it comes right back mm -hmm. because we didn't look at, you know, whatever it is, their hip mobility or whatever really was limiting them. So, um, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, looking at someone in isolation, especially, especially someone that is, an athlete or just like an active person really in general is a mistake that happens a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I guess since we're already on kind of the topic of the lower half, um, I sent you something uh, a while back where it was kind of talking a, a little bit about uh, the, the difference of like how um, the pectineus and the hip could actually be kind of similar to a TOS not thoracic outlet, but like a, like a hip outlet type syndrome. Mm -hmm. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, possibly being maybe either, um, you know, because of their anthropometry or because of the soft tissue region, uh, in the hip. Mm, I think that's a loaded question. I think it's both. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, a lot of stuff like that can be, you know, in that case, that was a new thing for me, but it seems largely related to soft tissue mobility, but I could see, you know, a hip joint mobility deficit being a cause as well, because again, you know, you're going to move around with what you have and then your, your soft tissues can, I guess, accommodate for your joint structure a little bit quicker. Your joint structure is not going to change. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in that case, I think it's more of a soft tissue problem in most cases, but obviously you're going to be at a higher risk with the change in your, again, your anatomy. So if your femoral artery is a centimeter further, you know, to the left, like, you know, it's going to make a difference. So that is a super interesting topic though. And hopefully something that's going to get more research. Yeah, definitely dive into that a little bit more, but if you think about it, they're both ball and socket, you know, hip and shoulder, they're both fairly similar, right? So if that, like we were talking about the tensegrity of that, if one of those, you know, sailboat tugs or like the tug of war and that is pulling it out of that, you know, more sliding and gliding uh, ball and socket joint where everything's more central in that, in that area, right? Like if some of the muscles that are attached to that either humerus or femur are pulling it into a certain direction, right? Like it's going to start grinding on, on other, you know, especially the capsule, it'll start grinding on that, or it'll, um, you know, just start tearing away at either the labrum or other things. Uh, you know, so it's, it's all, it all is connected for sure. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize, like you said, those are ball and socket joints that 
hip and the shoulder have the most mobility of any of the joints in the body. You know, they're made to have lots of degrees of freedom. The shoulder, obviously more than the hip because we have to bear weight through the hip. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, and with degrees of freedom comes chances for, for problems, but. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, outside of that, what other things, obviously, you know, with, with you, you know, still having some TOS type symptoms, what things have you been doing in your, in your daily life to just kind of help uh, subside that? So maybe like a coach is listening to this or, um, you know, a guy who's already done retired and he's not worried about trying to throw really hard. Uh, what are some things that, you know, they, they don't want to do surgery or anything like that. What, what are some things that they can do to just kind of keep that at bay and help them have, you know, better quality of life? Yeah. So I had some pretty significant, um, what they call muscle wasting of my hand. So a lot of atrophy of my hand muscles. And that's when I was like, okay, you know, this really needs to be taken care of. I work with my hands every day for my job. So, um, I went and sought treatment. I got a lot of dry needling of some of my, you know, cervical and thoracic muscles to try to reduce some of that, that, um, soft tissue tension I had there. Um, that helped a lot. And then I worked into a lot of, um, uh, like periscapular training. So I have, um, some significant instability of my left shoulder as well. So it's my left side that I have this problem on. And so really, as we're going through, it's just, we're seeing all these, you know, the checkbox of TOS, like why you have it, I'm having all these issues. Right. And so going forward, it's just having to manage those problems. So if I have poor, you know, strength around my shoulder blades, need to work on that. So talking about those rows, we talked about middle trap strengthening, lower trap strengthening, everybody has super strong upper traps and that's, you know, not necessarily the best thing for us. So, Mm -hmm. um, middle trap and lower trap are one of the most overlooked muscles in all populations, um, for sure. Um, but then again, like I said, the, um, the instability of the shoulder is a really big one that, um, I work on myself. So I'm sure you work on that a lot with, with pitchers and baseball players in general, but, um, I try to do something for my shoulder stability every single day. So like 10 minutes of it. Um, And honestly, since I've been doing all this stuff, it's been about, I don't know, like eight months now, but I, when I look at my hand, it looks almost normal (laughs) compared to the other side. So um, all that to say, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot that can be done to avoid surgery. Um, The surgery for this is very invasive. You know, they go in and take out one of your ribs. That's pretty big. And I think, you know, if you can rehab this conservatively, at least give it a shot. Um, I start seeing, you know, changes in mine within the first two or three months. So, you know, I did say it's been a while, but, you know, you can see changes pretty quickly. Um, But you have to go somewhere that's looking at the whole picture. So if you go in, you're like, I have thoracic outlet and they give you a neck massage and send you on your way, like you're not going to, you're not going to get any better. So, um, right. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of a, you know magic pill kind of approach to it where it's like, Hey, it's not just going to go away. And, in one massage session or one dry needling session, like it's something you got to be consistent with and, and, and try to stick to, you know, trying to improve that every single day. Yeah. And then of course it's up to you to do, you're not going to see, you know, a physical therapist or a coach or whoever every day. Um, especially once you're getting better, you're going to move on from that. And, you know, you still have all those risk factors that you had the first time you developed it. So you need to maintain those you know, stability pieces that you, that you gained. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all, it's all connected and 
you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? So if you're going about your, your weightlifting and training, even preventative stuff that you might've had, or even issues that you've had in the past, if you don't stay on top of those things, they're going to come back and, and sneak, sneak up and, you know, clip at your heels a little bit, so to speak, and try to sneak back in there if you don't take care of it. Um, yeah. Any, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up, Tori, on just TOS in general or, um, you know, where, where people can find you at and get in contact with you? Yeah, I think my main closing thought is be an advocate, like for yourself or for your athletes, if you're a coach. This is insanely overlooked um, and something that, like I said, especially if you see it before you start having grip strength problems or things like that mm -hmm. can be treated so well. Um, so just trying to increase the, I guess, knowledge that's out there for people. It can be treated and advocate for them to go get it looked at. Um, but as far as me, um, I'm on Instagram, Dr. Tori DPT, like Dr. Physical Therapy is my at. Um, working on some new things in Charlotte. So stay, stay uh, looking for that, I guess, is the word I would use. But yeah, um, hopefully some big moves coming for Dr. Tori in the future. So awesome. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Well, Tori, I appreciate you taking time out of your out of your day to come on and, and talk to yeah. us about this, you know, very up and rising topic. Like I think, you know, obviously a lot of people are very familiar with UCL injuries, Tommy John surgeries and things like that. But I do think, you know, thoracic outlet syndrome is something that's kind of rearing its head a little bit more and more in the baseball population. So appreciate you sharing your knowledge and insight. And for those of you listening, stay in the zone.